0: You're listening to the Interbank Room, a podcast that challenges individuals to be passionately curious. My name is Douglas Witherup, and I'm the senior pastor to the Multiply family of churches. Join us as I sit down with industry leaders as we laugh, converse, and sometimes debate our way through how to approach life with a spirit of discovery and adventure. Hey, welcome to the Interbang Room. I'm your host, Doug Witherup. So excited today to have Corey Gaston joining us. Corey is the Dean of Students at CFA Academy. He's a band director, music director, husband, father, author, uh, basically all the titles and a, a dear friend for 15 plus years of me. Corey, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So we want to just continue to have this conversation about racial issues and the racial tension that we're facing as a nation. Corey, you and I were talking the other day, and one of the things, uh, really one of the things that's on my heart is this, is this is a long play game. Like, I want to be in this. Um, just speaking, putting my pastor hat on, like I want to be in this for the long play to see the needle move forward, and I know uh, that is beyond your heart as well. You have, and so I want, I want to uh, catch. Our listeners up on a little bit of your story. You've been actively working to have these conversations and to bring healing, to bring unity um, in this area really for years. Yes, and sir. it started with a word that that the, the Lord kind of dropped in your spirit called proximity. proximity. Can you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that story? Where did that come from?
1: Yes, sir. So in 2017, the Um, The church was asked to pray, seek God for a word from the Lord for, you know, for us for that year individually. And um, through my time of prayer and just seeking God and that he gave me the word proximity and it was very, very, very loud in my spirit. There were several events that took place through the summer of 2017. Um, Philando Castile was um, a catalyst, a tipping point. Um, those events, while unique to that year, are not unique to the narrative of right. our history uh, as a country and even more so my personal involvement. Um, I've been attuned to these events for years, but it wasn't until we were, you know, given guidance to ask God, you know, what he would have us do and, uh, give us some insight in, in, in relation to a word that proximity became a thing and was birthed, um, in my spirit and my heart. And it comes from Ephesians chapter three, um, Paul is talking to uh, redeemed Gentiles and redeemed Jews, and that are living together in this new thing, this new. I think we all know about the story of of Paul encouraging, you know, there's no Greek, no Jew, no Gentile, no male, no female, no free, no slave. We understand that part. But long before he gets there, he articulates much in the end of chapter two of Ephesians Mm -hmm. into verse 10 of chapter three of Ephesians. And he is giving them this glimpse into this revelation that's been revealed by the Spirit of God. And it is telling them that the reason that the message of the gospel is so important to reconcile them one to another is to show God's glory on the earth to the watching world. And so they were not living together. They were living um, together under the same message, but not living together under the same unity that the message affords. And so that present unity, that testimony of unity to the watching world that would otherwise look at them and say hey these guys hate each other why are they living amongst each other why are they giving their daughters hands in marriage to someone whom they would consider to be unclean why are they loving one another why are they eating together why are they being seen in public together and the message that they could share would be because of the message of Jesus and so that is extremely powerful and I've read it before and it has eluded me in the past and I never saw it until we were asked to pray and seek
0: God's guidance on that thing for our lives in 2017. Wow, and so this idea, let me continue to just back up. Before you got that word proximity and before you started engaging this work in a more focused and and deliberate way, you were living this, you were living this long before. This is your personal story. Can you share just uh, a little bit about your story with with your wife and your kids? Absolutely. So for those of you that may not attend CFA
1: Church, um, my wife does not look like me. She looks a lot more like Pastor Doug. Um, And my kids look like a a good mixing of the two of us. And they are caramel brown. And um, we've been married for 18 years. And um, we have lived this without the articulation of the language. Yeah. for the entirety of that, of of our lives together. And of course, um, I'm 41. And so for 41 years, I've lived uh, some semblance of this. Um, Being a a veteran from the United States Marine Corps, um, living around people that are different than myself um, has been a way of life my entire life. And um, when I got saved in Japan, I was around, again, people that did not look like me. Um, people that did not have the same cultural background or cultural expressions as myself, even though I was around many other Americans, I was surrounded by the Okinawans and it was a unique perspective for me to see the expression of God's body, you know, that way in 1998 when I received, uh, you know, salvation. And... This has been a a heart cry, a passion to educate and to uh, illuminate my experiences as a human in this world and my experiences as a person who bears brown skin. Um, Just to be able to share that with others through Christ's love and Christ's grace is extremely important. And so my family's testimony, our four children's testimony, uh, the beautiful um, things that we have seen through relationships within our family, um, overcoming some serious biases and discriminations um, has been really, really wonderful to watch and to see God's hand through it all. And so that was long before I had the language uh, of what proximity was, but looking back over the years, that's exactly what made the difference. So living life together with people,
0: you know, doing yeah. those things, you know. Yeah. So so what would you say to somebody that would say um something something like this? Hey, during this time like the racial injustice, it it angers me, it upsets me. They've searched their heart, they would say, I I don't feel like there's a racial bone in my body. I, I have relationship with people of all colors or I worship uh, in a church with people of of multiple races, but, but that if they were one of the the things that you asked in, in your book, I believe proximity was um, maybe make a list of your top 10 friends or the top 10 people that are closest to you. And they all look the same. So, So what would you say to somebody that is there that is saying something like, but I want to take the next step? How How? just practically, like, what does that look like? How do I go from um, being coworkers to really, like, uh, having, having a more of a robust relationship and a closer relationship and then asking, asking some deeper questions of like, how was it growing up for you? How was your experience and that sort of thing? What, how do, how do people take those next steps?
1: So the answer to that question could be twofold. Um, indulge me for a moment
0: to be a little nerdy. Yeah. It's where I live. Um, you, so you won't have any objection for me in that. Good. I, I, I figured I wouldn't. So the
1: so the first part of the statement is the individual, right? So individually, I believe that most people see themselves not as a part of the whole. Mm. Um, I am an individual, and the things that I do can only affect me, um, my sphere of influence, my family. Um, I'm not that way, and so we tend to indemnify ourselves from a larger system of things um and so individually whereas we may not live and breathe the things that we see there are things that are part of the larger collective that we um can't overlook so dr robin d'angelo um A world-renowned sociologist and psychologist speaks about these two things: about the ability for for us to disassociate ourselves from the group and think purely at a very individual, personal level. And I think when we do that, we miss a part of the conversation and that's where having someone else's experience and uh, someone else's voice in your life is extremely important. The second part to that is kind of how we can do that. So I live diversely. Part of it is by um, choice and part of it is just by God's design for my life structure. I've been very, very fortunate to be around a ton of people that do not look like me. And that's from every walk of life and every experience, every expression of social economic status, tons of diversity. And it's unique to hear everyone's story. Everyone's story is what makes the church unique. Everyone's story is what makes our country's fabric unique. We're all a part of it. You know, so this this large tapestry, that is us, right? Our story contributes to the larger thing. And so we have to look at our individual piece and as to how that contributes to this thing. And I would definitely encourage, um, spend time with people. And that's the hard part. Because if your life is not diverse, trying to find someone without causing offense <laughs> can be tough. It's like, hey, brown person, I may not know many of you, but I really want. And honestly, I'm not going to speak for all black and brown people in our country, but I do know that the conversations that I've had with people that look like me, we are willing to have those conversations Um and from me talking to people that do not look like me in the majority culture, they're also willing to have the conversation because what I found is that we're a lot more alike than we are different. Yeah. And so, but we just don't know it. We assume wow. much about each other. We assume a lot about people and people groups that we don't have proximity with. And unfortunately, a lot of the lies and the divisions are in those assumptions, yeah. And it's not in the relationships. It's yeah. not in the sitting across the, the dinner table eating a meal with someone. It's not in the, hey, your kids and my kids are best friends and they're playing at the park and we're having deep conversations about things that matter. And I'm not trying to invalidate your um, past experiences because it doesn't line up with my personal experiences yeah so that is what relationship is and that's how we can bridge that that thing uh in our in our lives so thank you for letting me indulge in that so
0: absolutely i love that so you've been leading proximity groups um at the at the church and bringing people of different races and colors and backgrounds together and you've been having these conversations what what are maybe some of the um Light bulb moments or the aha moments or just some of those really neat moments that happen within the dynamic of bringing people together. I know you bring people together over food. Yes, you sir. Eat together. You drink coffee together. You're, you're like you said, your kids are playing together. What is it for you? Like um, some of those cool moments of revelation. I love. It?
1: I love when we've had a few meetings where people that like you said in that individual um they see themselves not a part of the whole and they can indemnify themselves from these large things that are taking place and it's like well i'm not like that and i don't have that and i don't possess that and my one of my jobs as an educator is to find a concept um it, and then reconstruct it in a way that fits the person's um particular life so we call that an education differentiation of instruction um, so i can destruct a concept that's very large and nebulous and may not directly impact and then try to frame it in such a way that connects to the person on a heart level or a, a mental level um, and one of the, the topics and of course if we talk about this in a, in a future episode it's divisive language i will absolutely give it that um but once you begin to extrapolate what it means some people can see it clearly in our last meeting um meeting before last rather we had talked about um privilege and what you hear in sociological terms is the term white privilege and that is extremely divisive and possibly even people listening or watching will saying hey, hey i don't know that and so the The assumption of that is that there is a socioeconomic advantage in the country afforded to some because of their skin or culture. And that's a misnomer. And so that concept, the deconstruction of it is I typically use something called since all of us are alive now and we have some frame of reference historically, we can look back to things in our recent past, our recent history, and we can see things that have taken place and its impact at the present. Uh, My favorite um, thing to extrapolate is the history of voting in our country. Um, If we know anything about history, the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments of our Constitution are called parts of the Reconstruction. 13th was what allowed my ancestors to be free, to no longer be considered ch- chattel slavery. The 14th Amendment afforded those freed people that were born on the soil the opportunity to become citizens. We call that birthright citizenship. The 15th Amendment gave those previous two groups the opportunity to vote. That was ratified in 1870. Even though it was ratified in 1870, it was not fully realized until another 95 years later with another federal piece of legislation called the the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Um, So those black and brown people that were afforded the opportunity via a constitutional amendment could not fully take part of that right until the 1965 legislative act my grandparents were born in 1919 and 1921 the voting age prior to 1970 was 21 and then after 1970 it reduced to 18 which is what it is today my grandparents were almost 50 years old before they were able to cast their first ballot the point of privilege and this is now the reconstructing of their argument is the privilege in that is that there was not a major landmark piece of legislation or a constitutional amendment that afforded the right to do something that we oftentimes squander and take for granted in our society today. And so when I said that the light bulbs went off because that's not too long ago. And the gentleman that was talking about it was actually bought, he was born 20 years before that and thought nothing of it. And so privilege is not always financial. Privilege can be something as small as that understanding of there were things that were prohibited to some that were afforded to others. And the prohibitor for the one was due to the way that they looked. And that is a huge amount of privilege to not have to have fought that fight to get that thing. And so when I extrapolate, this large nebulous thing and then reconstruct it, it's easier to see. And so there's offshoots from that, from that privilege, Um, being able to vote for the first time, you can then choose the people that represent you and not having been afforded that opportunity prior, you can see some of the destructions in communities and in cities and in states and on the national narrative of our history prior to that becoming where people that look like me are party to that system. And so that is something that is really, really important. And so once you can see that and you can see how that impacts today, it's like, well, that was 1965. It's like, yes. But imagine the amount of head start of being able to choose your elected officials and being able to choose people that represent you um, at a local and national level, having that. Um, representation for, by, and of the people is extremely important. That's a bedrock bedrock of our of our country, and so having that access is is incredibly um, important. And so that is a point of privilege that he did not see prior to that that question. But it was extremely powerful to see that come on. There was some some tears shed and some 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 apologies and repentance. even he, even though he had nothing to do with it. Yeah. He then saw that his individual um, indemnity did not indemnify him from this collective whole. Yeah. And that is, that's, what's really cool.
0: I love how you're walking through this, just te- teaching and as an, as an educator, cause that's part of who you are. You are, you are an educator um, as an educator when you're with the next generation and when you're teaching them, do you have hope? Much.
1: Oh man. The, the conversations that give me the most life are the ones with my current graduates and students that are, you know, coming up behind, behind them. Um, They don't live the way that we lived. They don't live the way that our parents lived and they really don't live the way that our grandparents lived. Um, We are so not in the fifties and the forties with that generation um, one of the things I love the most about our school um, a few years ago, you may remember our theme was make your mark yeah. and the, the promotional material for that um, promotion was kids of every stripe, shade and color. And when I would give tours um, to prospective, um, parents of students that would come to our school, they would always ask, are these your students? Or is this from like a stock image mm-hmm. gallery somewhere on the internet? And I'm like, no, these are our students and I would go through and I would name them and I would, I would say, and there's my daughter right there in the bottom left right-hand corner and right beside her is her really good friend. And over here, she's a senior. She's getting ready to go off to Chapel Hill. And this guy right here, he plays in my band and he is this, that, and the other. And to see the amount of diversity that our students have grown up with is unique because that was not my story. Um, That was not definitely not my parents' story. They went to segregated schools. Um, so the hope that I have is that the conversations that our students are having today are not the conversations that we and our ancestors had just two generations ago. So I see them living and loving, uh, differently. I, I, hear their conversations, their questions that they ask are filled with why did that happen? You know, the, they can't understand, they really can't grasp the civil rights era Um, Because they live and love everybody. And they truly do live that way. A lot of blended families where mom looks one way, dad looks another. They can't fathom that somebody would disregard either of their parents because of how they look. And so that amount of hope through our body and the biblical framework that we're able to to undergird that with is extremely hopeful. So, I mean, that's... Yeah, man, it's why, I, it's why I put my pants on every day and go to work. Yeah. I love
0: it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I I love that. So our our kids attend the same school. And I remember um, one of the, uh, we were getting ready to start a school year, and I forget what, what grade my daughter was in, let's say second grade. And I remember um, just walking into the back of the classroom and just scanning that classroom and seeing the diversity and just the tears welling up in my eyes of like just, Man, as a dad, loving that my kids were growing up in such a racially and culturally robust yes. environment. I just, uh, I love that, and yes. I love the, I love the hope that that brings um, with with every generation. Corey, let me pivot, let me pivot. So uh, last week, you and another pastor um, in our community organized uh, a, a community prayer event, uh, called love is the answer. And, uh, I had the opportunity to go out to that. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. So some, sometimes you think, you know, okay, these community events, what's the tone going to be? Uh, you know, is, uh, you just, you just don't know. There's so many, so many unknowns. It was, beautiful, was unifying. The tone was positive without skirting the issues. I mean, just so, so much went into that. Um, Let me ask you this. So, so you had just in the list of um, speakers, even there was speakers from different churches, including brown, black, white, uh, female voices. And then you included in that the chief of police which was an ama- amazing moment. Can you talk about just like what, what led you down that road of doing that um, to include both an African-American pastor and our local uh, city of Concord chief of police in that, same, in that same venue? I think one of the most destructive
1: thoughts in our society is the binary thought of us and them. And in my community, and I say my, because I take ownership in um, this thing called Concord. Yeah. Um, I take ownership in this thing called Cabarrus County. I take thing uh, ownership in this thing called North Carolina, which then of course extrapolates even farther to the United States. My community um, I'm passionate about and my community is not um, binary. I don't, I don't think of it as us versus them. And if we are honest um, I think that's where we get caught up in some of the mess. We um, disassociate ourselves from others. We disassociate ourselves from those in authority because we assume, um, specifically, I'll speak to my community. There's a horrible history of Black and Brown people and policing. But I don't believe that it has to be the future. And so, if I want to hem and haul about all the the things and not be a part of the solution to make it better that I sh- truthfully should shut up and, and keep my, my thoughts to myself. But if I really want to find a way to affect positive change, I have to be willing to reach out to those that the perceivable issues are with. Wow. And more specifically uh, in our community, chief Gasick has been a proponent of positive change. Yes, He's been a proponent of, community engagement. And when he and I met in 2017, along with Sheriff Riley at the time for the Cabarrus County Police Department, um, I saw nothing but hope. And also the community narrative of our local community is not the one of some of the other cities of unrest that we see right now. And I think that's intentional because of the leadership. And so and if we choose to disengage, um, we cannot be surprised when we have issues that no one knew existed because we were not there at the table to present. them. Wow. And so one of my favorite um, voices um, in Christian race and cultural reconciliation is Dr. Willie Jennings, and he is emphatic about people being invested in their communities because he considers that to be a deep moral issue. And so if I, a person of faith who believes that Jesus is truly the only way that these very large things change. If I am not at the table and speaking to people that can positively affect change for my community, then I am being disobedient to the gospel. I'm being disobedient to the mantle that God has so graciously given me, and I am not being faithful to the call. And so for that reason, engaging with people that are different genders, different colors, different socioeconomic status, different line of work, If we strip all of that away, we are still part of the same human body and our expression locally is part of my responsibility. So if we wish to be changed. I must be party to the solution and I got
0: to do that. So that's that's why I I just I just had jotted that down before you even said that, Corey. And and I just want to commend you because I think one of the things that I see in you is deep local. Change, and and if it doesn't work local, then it doesn't work, right? right? Like if the gospel doesn't work in my family, then it doesn't work. If it doesn't work in my church, my school, my community, and so um, I love that idea of affecting local change because we can only touch what we can touch, and our uh, uh, but but we can touch. All of us have all of us have that local context Um, when, When you were speaking at this event, you mentioned that the context which we're living in today is obviously different than the 1950s. And so that probably our response to the racial injustices that we're seeing today needs a different response than in the 50s and 60s. Can you you elaborate a little bit on that? Yes, sir. So I challenge,
1: I love the idea. So Dr. King, um, that we love and revere, um, was a proponent of civil disobedience, which got its roots from uh, Mahatma and Indira Gandhi. Um, So being civilly disobedient, not violent, Um, but civilly disobedient in protest and in demonstration against the authorities that were oppressing people during that time with sit-ins and with marches and with, um, us boycotts, and we could could recount all of the historical movements of the 50s and 60s through Dr. King, Medgar Evers, and others that have done some really effective things. But the world looked very different in the 50s and 60s. Um, We were largely segregated, and more specifically, the body of Christ was extremely segregated. Um, The church was the most segregated place in our society. We worked with others, but we did not worship with others. Today, that is not the story. And since we no longer live in that segregated world, and I don't believe that the solutions to a segregated problem can be the way. And so specifically, mobilizing the body of Christ by doing what Jesus has commanded us to do, if the church does that, I don't believe that the world can resist. And the reason I don't believe that they could resist is because our leader is dedicated to peace. Wow. Our leader, Jesus, wow. is, he literally lived and died for that thing, for his body to be unified. So instead of being civilly disobedient, I'm, uh, uh, I say I, but I just say I, I, maybe I'm the mouthpiece of the articulation for a call to righteous obedience. Wow. Obedience to the word wow. of God. And so if we do what God has commanded us to do in such a way that he commanded us to do it, how can that not affect change? I mean, the message of the gospel is already proved positive. Here are you and I. We don't look the same. We don't have the same upbringing, brother. I'm a deep south raised guy. You're from western Pennsylvania. Uh, I mean, you're a Yenzer, man. You know, and, I, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm a country kid from yeah. the South. Our experiences are drastically different, but here is the gospel bringing yeah. us together for positive and effective change to to, to be a witness to this world and our communities and our in our body in such a way. And so if we can do that and live righteously obedient to God's word, how can we
0: not affect change? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, lo- I love the way you're thinking, Corey. I love the way that you're, that you're changing the narrative, that you're using language intentionally uh, because that's powerful. Language shapes culture. Mm-hmm. And just that idea from from new wineskins, right? Civil, civil disobedience was used for that era. What could righteous obedience to our common leader of Jesus. What could that look like? I love how, again, I just love how solution oriented and hope filled this is. Without without ignoring the problem, absolutely. But but saying no, we're going to we're going to work through solutions. So again, Corey Gaston, uh, Dean of Students, husband, father, author. He's a doctoral student uh, uh, on his way to his doctoral degree. Um, the book is Proximity. So I'll, I'll finish with this. Um, you'd release this book probably a year, a year or so ago. And when I first got my copy, um, it was a thin book. And so I, I remember sitting down in my office chair and say, just having a little bit of time in the afternoon and thinking, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock this out. I'm going to read through this book. And I got, I got about a page and a half through the book. <laughs> and I put and I put it down, not because I was done with it, because it was asking some heart-searching questions, and I thought, oh, this is not a quick read. No, it's not a quick read, and and it is a powerful. You tell your story through this book. Um, you ask some questions that are such wonderfully soul-revealing. Revealing questions, but not in a way that is offensive or finger pointing. Um, so, all of that to say, I would highly recommend that to our listeners if they if they want to. This is a great resource. Um, if pastors are listening, this is a great resource to use as a small group discussion guide. We do the, we have proximity tribes, proximity groups in in our church, and we use this material as Corey leads these groups. We, um, this would be great to walk your kids through, uh, to begin discussions with people of other colors. So uh, if our listeners want a copy of the, that book, what's the best way for them to access that?
1: Amazon. So if you search my name, Corey, with an E, Y. Gaston, um, it'll pop up. It's a, it is 37, 38 pages. Um, but I purposefully didn't want it to be large, um, because of exactly what you said. I have read books that were on this subject and it's, it's not approachable. Um, and I know for people that may not look like me, that are engaging in the work that are truly trying to engage in the work. The last thing I want to do is to make them walk away from it. Um, and so it's designed for the body of Christ to engage with the mind of Christ. Um, But yeah, Amazon is a great way to get it. It will ship
0: it to you and it's only five bucks. Come on. Can't beat that. And I wouldn't do one occur. I'm just personally, I'm a, I'm a learner. And so that's how I respond to problems a lot of times. So when, when this came to the surface again, Um, one of the things that I did was I just hopped on Amazon. I said, all right, I want to, I got to learn more. I've got to learn more. And so I just started, started ordering books. So um, I want to encourage our listeners to do that. Uh, Hop on Amazon proximity you will not be disappointed and, and just allowing the Lord to take you through a journey as you lean into the, and listen to the conversation. Corey Gaston, um, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you, my brother. It's an, it's an honor to, to, I have said this to you in a text, but I can say it to you now. It's an honor to stand with you uh, shoulder to shoulder. And I appreciate, I appreciate all the work that you're doing. Likewise, my brother, man, I much appreciate the opportunity. This has been awesome. Fantastic. This is the Interabang Room. Thanks so much. We just continue to urge our listeners to live lives of passionate curiosity and discovery. Lean in, learn, and listen through this season.